Welcome to the Word of Life AG podcast. Following Jesus can be hard, but why? Today, Pastor Tom addresses that very question. But first, if you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. That's wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. We're so glad you're getting caught up, so let's get right into today's message as Pastor Tom answers the question, why is following Jesus difficult? Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're part of service. Thank you for being brave and uh, facing the British weather outside. You all made it. Well, uh, last week was fantastic. Uh, We had a youth retreat. We had a winter retreat um, that we were a part of, and I was glad I was able to go. Um, So my oldest son, Elijah, he's 12, and he's in sixth grade this year, and Elijah's on the autism spectrum. And so a number of years ago, I kind of made the commitment that when it's time for him to be in youth ministry, I'll go with him for the youth trips. Um, And the big secret is that um, Elijah's just my excuse to be allowed to go because I love it. We had a fantastic time, and I want to let every single one of you know, um, I know that as a church, we pray and we believe in the next generation, and Pastor Annie and the youth team are doing a tremendous job. I couldn't be happier um, with the work that they're doing, the great stuff that we're seeing. And uh, I want to go ahead. I've got a couple of pictures. The first one's of me and Elijah up there, and uh, this is us at Winter Treat. Look at that kid. Isn't he amazing? Love that guy. And then uh, this is the worship. Um, This is one of the many worship services that we had. Um, And so some of our kids might be there. Um, It was just a wonderful, deeply impacting time. And then um, also there was a time for students to come forward, respond in prayer. Um, Who knows what it is that are on those young hearts and those young minds that need to be prayed about in that moment. Um, But I'm really proud of our students for going all in with that. And then we also had a chance to go through some water baptisms um, at youth retreat. This was not planned. This was um, impromptu. This was out of a demand. And we ended up um, having 11 students go through water baptism. Isn't that fantastic? And then lastly, I just wanted to show you, this is uh, one of the group pictures that we took. There's everybody, um, a great group of students and a great group of leaders. And so I'm so glad I was able to tag along. I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to summer retreat. Amen? Amen. So um, during one of the services at Youth Retreat, um, I was there, of course, there's a number of young people that are there, and I'm I'm praying, and I'm a part of the service, uh, and it got me thinking about the students that were present, and of course, my own kids, and the whole idea of living a life of faith and a life following Jesus, and it all brought me to a question that really has driven today's message, and it's this question of why is following Jesus difficult? Why is following Jesus difficult? And while this question started rolling around in my head during the youth retreat and stemmed from my prayer for the students and high schoolers, it's still a question that I think is relevant for every believer. I believe it's worth considering with everyone this morning, why is following Jesus difficult? Now, built into that question is the conclusion that following Jesus is indeed difficult. Asking the question, why following Jesus is difficult, it it recognizes that following Jesus isn't easy, but it's tough. And the scriptures don't shy away from this. This isn't something that should come as a surprise to anyone who spends time reading the Bible. From the Gospel of Matthew, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus speaking again, this time in John's gospel. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. This is a moment where Ananias is getting ready to go and see Paul following the, his road to Damascus experience. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Later on in the book of Acts, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And also this from 1 Peter, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. For the first century Christians, there was a constant threat of violence. The persecution of the early church was extreme and is a regular theme in the New Testament letters. Even today, all around the world, as we speak, Christians are violently persecuted for their faith. But we, you and I, we don't face violent persecution. Not one of us came to church today and was worried about being arrested. And if you were, it had nothing to do with church. <laughs> but we have a nice church building. We have heating. We have a cafe. We have Bibles on our phones. This life of faith should be easy. And despite us not facing violence or prison because of our faith, and with all the comforts of the American church, we all still recognize that following Jesus is difficult. We're still reminded of our own struggles when we read scriptures like the ones I just shared. Another verse, this is Paul writing to Timothy. The time of my death is near. Paul talking about his own upcoming death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Paul compares remaining faithful with fighting and racing. And fighting and racing, these are difficult things. And as Paul is facing the reality of his own death, that's how he chooses to describe how he has remained faithful. And just like anyone that has ever won a race or won a fight, they are victorious, but it took courage and persistence and resolve to win. It meant rising to the challenge. And despite all the reasons to quit, they chose to keep going, chose to step up when it was easier to back down. It was determination that we're going to follow Jesus despite the long list of reasons that we have that are making it difficult to stay on track. It's to fight the good fight. It's to finish the race. It's to remain faithful. And in the time we have together today, I want to consider the question that I started with, why is following Jesus difficult? And I came up with four reasons, four reasons why it's difficult to follow Jesus. And there are definitely more than four, and I've landed on these uh, four, which I believe are the ones that affect us the most. And it'll be very easy to do a sermon on each of these four, but I'm going to trust that by touching on them, you'll be able to see um, 
something that is relevant for you and perhaps get you thinking this week. So the first one, why is following Jesus difficult? Number one, you're battling yourself. Why is following Jesus difficult? The first thing, you're battling yourself. You're battling your old self, your old ways of thinking, your old habits, the old things that you wanted, our old motivations, our old priorities, the desires for things that are in conflict with our faith. This passage from Romans speaks to this directly. This is Paul talking. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now I'm going to guess there isn't anyone here that's bold enough to say that they don't understand this scripture completely. We've all felt this way, and it reminded me of the Wonka soundtrack. Anybody seen the movie Wonka? Okay, I took the twins to go and see it, and it's a good film. Um, but the twins loved it so much that whenever we're in the car, they want to listen to the soundtrack. And so we'll put it on, and we'll listen to the Wonka music. And what I have found is that when I have a moment of quiet, that music is still in my mind. There's chocolate, and there's chocolate, but only Wonka chocolate. Is that just chocolate? Anyway, it's in my mind. Now let me tell you. I don't want the Wonka soundtrack in my mind. I want good music in my mind. And when I say good music, I mean music that was made before my children were born. Can I get an amen? Now, this is, of course, a ridiculous example. I've also heard preachers talk about chocolate cake, but I'm going with the Wonka soundtrack. But we all understand this. We all understand the tug of war in our hearts and our minds. Because of Jesus, we're spiritually awake and aware of what we should do, and yet this tension persists. I'm certainly not trying to belittle this struggle, and none of us are perfect or completely cleaned up. This verse from Philippians keeps showing itself in our lives. Paul talking to the church in Philippi, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul has, of course, encouraged them that God is still working and that there is hope because Jesus is returning. But the admission is that we are not perfect. God isn't finished with us. It's ongoing. This work has began, but it's continuing. And it is not finished, but the complete perfecting. It will happen, but it won't happen this side of eternity. That means that the struggle, that tug of war will continue. The difficulty will be very present for the rest of our lives. The Wonka soundtrack lives on. Second reason, why is following Jesus difficult? Number two, our love for comfort. Our love for comfort. As people, we like to create a box that our lives can fit in. I have a box. In my box, it includes, I like to get up early and spend time reading my Bible and praying before anyone else in the house wakes up. I, I like to come here to the office and spend time with the staff and meeting with people and preparing for Sunday sermons. And I like to go home and spend time with Megan and the kids. And if somewhere in there, I get to watch a Premier League game or a baseball game, even better. And I don't like my little box getting mixed up, but sometimes I oversleep and miss an alarm. Sometimes things happen here at the church that means that we have to drop everything. Sometimes family life gives us a challenge. And don't get me started on Chelsea or the Yankees. 
But I can't see any example from the Bible where we should try and create a little comfortable existence and make that our goal. Rather from the scriptures, it seems like God is getting people out of their comfort zones, not putting them in one. When Jesus performed a miracle and he asked Peter, James, and John to follow him, this is how Luke records it, they left everything and followed Jesus. There's nothing comfortable about that. Now how closely your story might mirror Peter's is not the point, but when you follow Jesus, you forsake comfortable, predictable, and steady. And that can indeed be difficult. Third thing, why is following Jesus difficult? Third thing, the culture. John 15, 18, we read this a moment ago. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. It's no secret or surprise that the values and morals of the world stand in dramatic opposition to the values and teaching of Jesus. It takes a lot of backbone to swim upstream. It takes a lot of courage to stand out from the crowd. The world is misunderstanding the message of Jesus because it doesn't affirm what they are demanding it affirms. Good people who love God and want to show God's love to others find themselves in a struggle, not because they're evil, but because they won't progress as the culture demands they progress. I keep saying to my kids, it's one of the conversations that Megan and I are having with them routinely and regularly is that as Christians, you will be different and it's okay. You will stand out how you make decisions, your set of priorities, your values. They won't match the crowd and that's okay because you're not called to kill yourself to fit in. You're called to stand out for the right reasons. There was... Almost a year ago, I shared a series of messages called Generation Restoration, and one of the things that came up repeatedly in that series was asking a series of questions that I want to share with you now. Back then, what I said, and I still believe is true for us today, is how do we rescue people that don't agree that they need rescuing? How do we love people who believe we hate them? How do we have a voice around ethics and morality when the world is telling us to shut up? How do we help people undo the lies of the world when the lies are being screamed from all corners of culture? How do we proclaim that we have a life-changing message to a world that doesn't trust us? How do we disciple people so they are strong enough to swim against the tide of culture? How do we preach a message of forgiveness and grace to a community that doesn't think they've done anything wrong? And how do we say love your neighbor when people hate each other if they voted differently from them? This, I believe, is the tension that the modern church is called to navigate. And navigating this is tough, especially for young people. This is difficult for anyone, but for Gen Z and Gen Alpha, this is true. It is a true difficulty, and you have this church's full support. We are committed to pray, and we promise that we are locked arms with you in this fight. As you go to school, to work, to college, we are with you in the fight. The fourth thing, why is following Jesus difficult? Number four, you face disappointments. Disappointments come in many shapes and sizes. It can be losing a home or losing a career, the death of a loved one, a broken relationship with somebody, possibly marital problems or parenting problems or a health crisis. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe you're the person in the wrong. Maybe someone has done something wrong to you. Maybe it's no one's fault, but life has just been flat out unfair. There is literally an endless list of disappointments that we could come up with. And in the middle of a disappointment, it's difficult to follow Jesus. When you're emotionally wrecked, a life of faith seems impossible. And John the Baptist shares our struggle. 
from Luke 7. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At this point in John's life, he was in prison for doing what he believed God wanted him to do. And as he's rotting in a jail cell, he starts to question what's going on. He proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. He was the one who will take away the sin of the world. And we see that in this moment of a very real disappointment, it was difficult for John to follow Jesus. And I imagine every single one of us have faced a very real disappointment and the very real struggle to follow Jesus as we deal with the hurt and the confusion. The scriptures, they don't pull any punches or sugarcoat that it is indeed difficult to follow Jesus. Whether it's battling yourself, whether it's a love for comfort, pressure from the culture around us, or the disappointments that you faced. There's a very real and very strong temptation to try and make following Jesus easy. Why go the difficult route if there's an easy one? No one really likes difficult, so it's worth considering, how can you make following Jesus easy? And I've got four answers to that question too. First thing, how can you make following Jesus easy? First thing, avoid the challenge. Avoid the challenge. The challenge is what brings the transformation. But that's the opposite of what you want if you want easy. Every sermon you'll hear at Word of Life will have a huge emphasis on the challenge. To make following Jesus easy, my friends, you will have to ignore that. The scriptures are confrontational, and so it makes sense that when we gather together and someone reads and teaches and preaches from the scriptures that we see the challenge. But the challenge is difficult. If you don't want difficult, avoid the challenge altogether. Assume the challenge is for someone else. Brush it off. Dismiss it quickly. Definitely don't pray about it. Avoid the challenge. How can you make following Jesus easy? Second thing, be casual. Settle into a comfortable groove. Don't be disciplined. Don't make spiritual things a priority. Put Jesus somewhere on the long list of things you have to do. If you start making your faith a priority, you'll start to feel uncomfortable about a few things. And if you want easy, that's definitely not the answer. If you start being serious about your faith, you start reevaluating your priorities and how you make decisions. And my friends, that is going to be very inconvenient. If you want to make following Jesus easy, just be casual. Maybe I'll be a part of the church. I might read the Bible if I have a few minutes spare. I'm definitely going to pray when the car breaks down, but that's it. To make this easy, don't progress past casual. Third thing, how can you make following Jesus easy? Third thing, pick and choose. When Megan and I, we moved from Oregon to New Jersey, it was a four-day trip, and Megan drove our car, and I was in a U-Haul, and um, because the airbag was turned off, we were told it was safe to have a kid in the front seat, and so we rotated which one of the three kids would sit up front. And I remember, I was sat there with Elijah, and I'm driving a U-Haul, so I'm being extra diligent, uh, diligent, trying to focus on the road, but I had a giant two-pound bag of trail mix, and so I'm kind of working my way through it, and so I would take a handful, and I would kind of extend towards Elijah, still looking at the road, and like, hey, buddy, you want some trail mix? And I was kind of, he was taking his time. And I kind of figured what was going on. He kind of had his finger in my hand and was kind of doing a bit of this. And I realized he was just rooting through everything else looking for the M&Ms. <laughs> that is a terrible way to read the Bible. That is a terrible way to read the Bible. There's a growing number of preachers online, especially on TikTok, who are doing absolute gymnastics to justify the picking and choosing of Scripture. And if you want easy, 
You definitely shouldn't pay attention to the confrontational teachings of Jesus. You definitely don't pay attention to the portions of the Bible that expose our shortcomings. No, no, no. If you want easy, pick and choose. Find the M&Ms in the trail mix. Fourth thing, how can you make following Jesus easy? Stay down. Stay down. Of course life has difficulties. Every one of us has endured something that has been truly life-altering in the worst way. And I say this as gently as, and as caring as I can. I know it's easier to stay down. It's easier to never get back up and try again. It's easy to become cynical and protect yourself from ever getting hurt again. It's easier to get lost in bitterness and to let bitterness settle in. The list of reasons that life can knock us down is endless, whether it's our fault, someone else's fault, or whether it's just life circumstances being flat out unfair. It's definitely easier to stay down. But it's worth remembering that there's a reason that people who persevere through adversity gain the respect of those around them. It's noble and heroic to bounce back. It's admirable to dust yourself off and get back up and keep going. If you want easy, avoid the challenge. Be casual, pick and choose, and stay down. But if we accept the reality that following Jesus is difficult, it is a fight, it begs the question, is it worth it? Is the fight worth it? Is the difficulty worth it? Well, the message of Jesus, it addresses the biggest problem we have, our separation and our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is the greatest news anyone could ever hear that Jesus on the cross made it possible for us to have a healed and restored relationship with God. It affects not only life on earth, but also life for all eternity. My friends, it is definitely worth it. And not only is it worth it, but we are promised that God will help us as we face the difficulties that life brings. From the book of Hebrews, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The author of Hebrews here is quoting two passages from the Old Testament to remind us of God's commitment. That never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake or abandon you. Never will I desert you. Never. That is a strong promise. But he is our helper in times of need. This promise of a helper, it echoes the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. The Holy Spirit is also described as a gift in the Bible. And here, he's described as a helper. This is not mindless theory, but the Holy Spirit helps. It's part of why he's here. He teaches us, reminds us of Jesus' teaching. He comforts, he guides, he empowers, he gives peace. He gives us the words to say, Another portion, Jesus says this in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. That is the worst promise in the whole Bible. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. No one is putting that Bible verse on a coffee cup. We should expect difficulties. Difficulties will come. Jesus told us they will come. But we are a part of Jesus' victory. I have overcome the world. 
we can still have peace and hope in the face of trials or sorrow because He has overcome the world. It's first from First Peter. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to Him forever. Amen. And we just spent the past three weeks talking about heaven and eternity. And here Peter is talking about the eternal glory and how that is a motive as we encounter the difficulties of following Jesus. The promise of heaven is a motivation. And John writes this in 1 John, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, it is difficult. And the Bible doesn't hide that reality and we all know it from our life experience. But it's worth it and He is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. We have the Holy Spirit to help us every step of the way. There is an eternal hope that we should grab onto and refuse to let go of. And this is why I keep saying at nauseum, if you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, the only logical response is to follow Him with everything. Word of life here at the church, there has been a mission statement that Megan and I inherited. This was established a long time ago, decades ago. The church mission statement is leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. The mission that this church has taken up 40 years ago when Dan and Marjorie Rock came to plant a church in Baldwinsville is to lead individuals, to lead people, to become both faithful and effective as they live a life following Jesus. That's our mission. There are, of course, many different ways that we accomplish this. But with the daunting reality that following Jesus is difficult but still worth it, we should ask the question, how do we faithfully and effectively follow Jesus? And I've come up with four reasons for you. How do we faithfully and effectively follow Jesus? Firstly, commit to stretch. Commit to stretch. This is one of our core values, and those of you that are going to be going through Life Path next week, you'll hear more about this, but commit to stretch. Stretching and growing and adapting or changing or maturing, it's uncomfortable. It might even be painful, but that's why it takes commitment. The traditional term for this stretching is sanctification. The unlearning of our old ways of thinking, our old set of values, our old habits and behaviors, and learning and adopting new ways of thinking to become more and more at home in the kingdom of God, to have Jesus' values and cares and concerns as my own. To be a person that forgives quickly and someone that's determined to tell the truth and someone that's disciplined and someone that's willing to deny themselves and someone who's ready to rethink their conduct and someone that's ready to do unto others as we would have them do to us. It's easy to recognize that this all sounds nice and lovely, but in reality, it's a stretch. And it's a stretch that takes commitment. Second thing, how do we faithfully and effectively follow Jesus? Secondly, be passionate. Be passionate. Now, passion is superior to happiness or excitement. Happiness and excitement, they're a temporal response to something. A kid at a birthday party is excited. But passion is different. It's deeper. Passion transcends seasons. Passion keeps you expecting more. Passion will fuel you dreaming and praying about the future. Passion will start a contagious fire that will burn year after year. Passion is measured in endurance, not volume. 
We can oftentimes mistake that someone that's loud and blah, that that is someone that is passionate about something. Perhaps, but that's not the measurement. The measurement of passion is whether it's the inspirations of someone to endure whatever life throws at them. If it is a true passion, we'll be able to observe it, not because it's loud, but because it carries someone through every single season of life, ups, downs, and everything in between. True passion will keep someone moving forward. True passion will keep someone going despite anything that may be happening in the world around them. It will keep them grounded when things are going good, and it will keep them lifted up when things are down. True passion is not measured in volume. I, uh, I'm a massive Beatles fan. Um, simply put, it is the best music to come out of England, and Bob Dylan is the only rival to the Beatles. But I have no desire to get into any debates about that today. But I was watching an interview with Ringo Starr recently, and those of you who may not know, Ringo was the drummer for the Beatles. And the interviewer put a question to him and said, what would you have done if you hadn't have been the drummer with the Beatles? And Ringo replied, I would have been a drummer, to which the audience laughed. And he's like, well, no, no, no. Like, long before I ever joined the Beatles, I determined I was going to be a drummer. And if I wouldn't have drummed with the Beatles, and if we wouldn't have made it to be as successful as we were, I would have just drummed in other bands around Liverpool. I would have just drummed in the clubs around Liverpool. I mean, I would have been a drummer. That's passion. And if that's passion for playing drums, how much more passion should we have about the kingdom of God? How much more passion should we have about all that God has accomplished and all that Jesus did on the cross and all that the empty tomb meant on that first Easter morning? The good news of Jesus should inspire a passion that shapes and drives our entire lives. We should take the time to reflect and remember the good things that he has done. We should be inspired by his wonder and his majesty and his sovereignty. Because if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Third thing. Third thing, how do we faithfully and effectively follow Jesus? Thirdly, we submit to his lordship. I believe I have found the most un-American thing Jesus ever said. In Matthew 5, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. My friends, this is un-American. To not retaliate after an assault? If someone takes your stuff to give them more? For a government official to make an unreasonable demand and for you to do even more than they ask? My friends, this is flat out un-American. But to all cultures, anywhere on the world, for 2,000 years, the teaching of Jesus has been offensive. In the West, we love the Bible's teaching on do unto others and love and peace. But the broader culture, they hate and bitterly hate what the Bible says around sexual morality. If you went to some Middle Eastern countries today, they would applaud and agree with the sexual ethics in the Bible, but they would violently reject Jesus' teaching about forgiveness and grace. We should not be surprised at the offensive nature of Jesus' teaching. He's perfect. I am not. So, of course, I disagree with him. But what I need to remember is that when I disagree with God, I am never right. When I disagree with God, I am never right. We need to submit to his lordship. He is Lord, and we cannot make that mistake. From the book of Romans, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That belief that he is risen, it transforms our hearts and minds. And that's what's going on within us. Therefore, we outwardly proclaim he is Lord. We don't proclaim that he's just some good guy. 
Not that he taught some cool stuff. Not that his miracles were really inspiring. Not that he cheers me up when I'm sad. Not that we can pray to him when we're in an emergency, but he is Lord. He, the Lord, and I will submit to him. I will submit to his will, his teaching, and his throne because that matters more than my plans, my opinions, or my ambitions. Jesus is Lord. The Greek word for Lord It appears in the New Testament 722 times. It's impossible to miss, and yet we miss it all the time. This is from Paul writing to Timothy. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, I've spoken about this a number of times, and I continue to see all over my social media and online preachers that appeal to our selfishness. I see sermons that are filled with how you can get your blessing or how you can get your prosperity or two easy steps to get your miracle or how you can get your breakthrough or your anointing. If that's the only focus of a sermon, it's not only off balance, it's appealing to the selfishness that God is trying to kill in our hearts. It's preaching that's trying to nurture what God is trying to destroy. My friends, please, please, please be wary of preaching that inflates our selfishness. I'm also seeing at the same time, seeing and hearing more and more preaching on TikTok and wherever else that people are doing absolute gymnastics to convincingly misrepresent the Bible so they can justify sin. It's astounding how many followers these charlatans have amassed. It's the embodiment of what Paul wrote to Timothy, that they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Inevitably, If someone seeks out teaching that tells them what they want to hear, it inflates and inflames selfishness. It breeds and encourages self-centeredness. And to get there, people have to reject the authority of Scripture and suddenly the Bible, the gift that God gave us to show humanity who He is and what it means to know Him and be in relationship with Him and how we are to live with one another, it suddenly just becomes a book that's subject to my feelings and what I want it to say. And despite the polite lip service to Jesus, What will inevitably be sacrificed to feed our itching ears, to hear what we want to hear, it'll be the lordship of Jesus. If we're not careful, after seeking validation for our own desires, we start to reject the authority of the Bible, and ultimately, we reject the lordship of Jesus because our loyalty is not to him, but to ourselves. That's 722 times the word Lord shows up in the New Testament. This is clearly something we cannot afford to miss. The Lordship of Jesus cannot be overstated and cannot be downplayed or ignored in our lives. Now, let me say this in case it's not obvious. This isn't as two-dimensional as you've got to behave better than the unbelievers. It's much richer and deeper than that. It's a call to bring about and reflect God's kingdom here on earth, which certainly means embodying his values and behavior that honors him. But it's also about showing love and kindness and compassion and care and acceptance. Jesus is Lord, and he is worthy to imitate. And he lived a sinless life, and he showed the world a a love that changed the entire world. He showed compassion to people. And as the Lord of my life, I should endeavor to do the same.
A fourth thing, how do we faithfully and effectively follow Jesus? Keep getting up. Keep getting up. One of my favorite quotes is from a pastor called Rich Wilkerson, and he says that a Christian is either up or getting up. A Christian is either up or getting up. And this echoes one of the Proverbs. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. The Bible is full of people who get smashed down, but find the courage and the faith to get back up. Abraham, he received a promise from God and then made a mess of it when he tried to make it all happen instead of let God doing it. Jacob went on the run from his twin brother after ripping him off and stealing his birthright and their father's blessing. Joseph was sold into slavery by his older brothers because he was a spoiled brat. Moses ran away and hid for 40 years after he killed an Egyptian. David had to suffer the shame and humiliation after having an affair and killing an innocent man. Elijah ran away from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel because they threatened him. Jeremiah spent time in jail because he stood up against evil leadership. Peter denied Jesus three times after boasting that he never ever would. Paul brutalized the early church before having his own radical encounter with Jesus. And John was outcast to a prison colony on the island of Patmos. Life brings us disappointments, but heroes get up and find a way to keep fighting. Stories of people succeeding in the face of adversity or an underdog story or a comeback story, they continue to be wildly popular because we're all deeply inspired by people's perseverance and the courage to stand up after being knocked down. Movies about people who give up after facing disappointment would bomb at the box office. But stories and movies and books about heroes rising up out of tragedy, they continue to inspire and continue to find an audience. Commit to stretch, be passionate, submit to his lordship, and keep getting up. It was probably about 10 years ago now, I was at a summer camp when I was youth pastor in Montana, and uh, I heard a sermon from the, uh, the person they'd flown in to be the speaker for that week. And the person they'd flown in is a man by the name of Joe Jordan, and he was a missionary. Uh, at the time, he was um, all over Asia. I believe right now he's based in India. But Joe Jordan told this story where he was back in the States, and he was visiting some churches to go and let them know about all the work he was doing in Asia. And he went to a church where he said it was probably a church for about 200 people. And he said he went there, he went in, and he was greeted at the front door by the friendliest people you'd ever heard of in your life. Like just the salt of the earth people just welcomed him in warmly. And then he was kind of shown to the cafe where they were so happy to have him here. And it was the first time there and they didn't recognize him. So they gave him a free coffee and it was wonderful. He was so happy about it. And then he went over and someone else told him that there were some free donuts that day. So he got himself a donut. And then when they realized that it was his first Sunday there, they said, hey, you know what? For first time guests, we have a hoodie we'd love to give you. So we got a free hoodie, a donut, a cup of coffee. And he said it was wonderful. The nicest service he'd ever had. He was made to feel so welcome. It was so comfortable. And there's about 200 people there to hear the gospel that morning. But a few miles away, there was a Spartan race. And if you're not familiar with what a Spartan race is, it is an ultimate challenge in fitness and endurance. To be perfectly honest, it's for psychopaths. On a Spartan race, there are portions where you have to climb under barbed wire, you have to carry massive weights as you sort of go through the next portion of the race, and you have to climb up a muddy cliff face, jump from tree stump to tree stump to get across a pond. I sort of looked this up over this weekend, and the toughest of these races, the Spartan races, the most difficult one, has got 35 of these types of challenges. 
And these 35 challenges are spread over a 14-mile course, and it can take as long as eight hours to complete. For a Spartan race that weekend, while there were 200 people in this beautiful church that was real cozy, the room temperature was just right, free coffee, free donuts, hoodies for first-time guests, 20,000 people turned up for a Spartan race. And the preacher's point that has stuck with me for 10 years is that why do we think that people want cozy Christianity? Why do we think that making things as easy and as comfortable as possible is the key to reaching the community? When the community is communicating to us by voting with their feet and voting with eight hours of torture and pain on a Sunday afternoon, apparently, that what they want is a challenge. They don't want nice, easy Christianity. They want to see, what is it that God has for me? What is it going to take? What is asked of me? I want to give up everything, and that's what's required. I want to get on a walk on water if that's where you're going, Lord. I want to be a part of this thing you've called me to. Why do we buy into this idea that nice, cozy, quiet, tame Christianity is the answer? Apparently, the Spartan race shows us that's not what's in the heart of people. Our message is that we are a church on a mission. And if you're a part of this church, you are a part of that mission. We each have a different part to play. But make no mistake, you, my friend, have a part to play. And I cannot wait to see how God is going to use this church to reach this community more and more. Can I get an amen? Now, on the, on the way out today, I had these cards made up and the ushers and greeters, they, they have them. If you look at them and you think that the graphic design on here is excellent, I don't want to brag, but I did it myself. If you think it looks amateurish, oh, I got nothing helpful to say. I, what can I say? But anyway, we have these here and it has the outline of what I shared today because I know that we've covered a lot of ground. But I wanted to go through this with you before we wrap up. The first thing I put to you is why is following Jesus difficult? The reality is you're battling yourself. So the temptation is to avoid the challenge. But becoming faithful and effective means committing to stretch. Why is following Jesus difficult? The second thing, our love for comfort. So the temptation is be casual. But becoming faithful and effective means being passionate. Why is following Jesus difficult? The third thing, the culture around us. So the temptation is to pick and choose. But becoming faithful and effective means submitting to His Lordship. Why is following Jesus difficult? The fourth thing, you face disappointments. So the temptation is, stay down. But becoming faithful and effective means you keep getting up. Yes, following Jesus is difficult. But the testimony from believers all over the world for the last 2,000 years is that it's worth it. Our fellow believers who are facing violence and prison for their faith as we speak would tell us that it's worth it. So commit to stretch, be passionate, submit to His Lordship, and keep getting up. I've got a couple of questions for you. If you're in the habit of writing these down, I encourage you to do so. If you're not in the habit, why not start today? But the first question I put to you to reflect on this week is, how have you tried to make following Jesus easy? How have you tried to make following Jesus easy? Have you avoided the challenge? Have you started to become casual in some areas? Have you found yourself picking and choosing? Have you stayed down when life has knocked you off your feet? How have you tried to make following Jesus easy? The second question I put to you is, how can you be more faithful and effective as you follow Jesus? Perhaps it's committing to stretch. Perhaps it's 
deciding that you're gonna stoke this passion and start being a more passionate believer. Maybe it's submitting to his lordship or it's that deep resolve to keep getting up. Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wise as serpents, not blissfully ignorant. We should have our eyes wide open that this life of faith is tough. There are wolves out there and we should be ready. If we know, then we should be prepared. We're not going to be taken by surprise when this life of faith gets tough, but we'll be driven by an unwavering determination that this is worth it. We should be fully aware and ready to resist the temptation to avoid challenge or be casual or to pick and choose or stay down. Why is it difficult to follow Jesus? You're battling yourself, but becoming faithful and effective means committing to stretch. Why is following Jesus difficult? Our love for comfort, but becoming faithful and effective means being passionate. Why is following Jesus difficult? Because the culture around us, but becoming faithful and effective means submitting to his lordship. Why is following Jesus difficult? You face disappointments, but becoming faithful and effective means you keep getting up. Would you stand with me? We're gonna go back into a time of worship. But one more time, John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that something from today, something from your scriptures would grab a hold of somebody. Lord, where a challenge is needed, may there be a challenge. Where encouragement is needed, may there be encouragement. Where strengthening is needed, Lord, strengthen your people. Lord, I pray that whatever difficulty, whatever size or shape or particularity around it, Lord, whatever it is, that it would strengthen our faith in you, it would strengthen our resolve to cling to you. Lord, that our faith would be tested. As Peter wrote, that it would be tested and it would be shown to be true. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you. We trust you. Lord, I pray that your goodness would flow in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's spend some time in worship together.